We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. Hello, welcome to True Faith Weekly Podcast. This week I'm joined by Ben Wade and Richie Smith. Hello, lads. And today, rather than uh, go through Newcastle's disgraceful performance at Crystal Palace, which is followed on from the disgraceful performance against Leicester, we're going to talk about what is wrong at Newcastle United and what needs to be put right to fix it. Uh, Richie, I'm going to come to you first. You were at the game yesterday and I know you want to talk about some of the senior players in that team. Yeah. Well, um, first things uh, first, uh, it was the first time that I've ever in my what, 20 odd years of being a Newcastle fan that I, that I basically walked out at half time. Um, I think just, just said a lot about really uh, the, my expectation of, of anything really um, looking to change. Um, and, and I was kind of proved right that it was just a, an absolute collapse. But, um, but yeah, the, the issue with Newcastle. Um, is a spine of senior players who I'm going to call them absolute losers because that's what they are. They are persistent, kind of almost um, ingrained losers. For, for three years, they've they've lost every other week. They've lost comfortably. They've been, um, you know, they're not not just losing by one or two goal defeats, but getting beat. Regularly by three or uh, three or four goals plus um, on, on a consistent basis, they've got a losing mentality, and in my opinion, it's got to the stage that for some of them, that uh, it's 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 gone past the point of being able to actually coach it out of them. Now, just to kind of go through um, maybe some uh, case and points there. Um, culprit number one, in my opinion, is Colaccini. For two years ago, we should have got rid um, he was on the way down as far as his ability um, he was very kind of almost nearly public around how he didn't really want to be at the club anymore two years on and, and in the summer when we should have definitely got rid of him uh, we, we end up kind of begging him to stay give him a new contract 
Megan McCaplin completely undeserved based on his performances and application over the last two years and this season I think we've seen him at his absolute worst he He's never, he's never been a captain. He never will be a captain. And yesterday proved that as soon as we we concede a goal, you look, you look at the, the the players on the pitch, and he's probably got his head down more than any other. He's an absolute, he's an absolute bottle job, and I think he's, a, I think he's a disgrace. And I, I can't believe that time and time again would give him the captaincy. Um, and and you know it, there's this it, there's almost like a fear of like dropping Colaccini or taking the the captaincy off him when you know if if, if he's if he's what the other players are looking up to in the in the in the change rooms on the training pitch on the pitch itself there's no wonder that the the rest of them are just uh, you know chuck the towel in um, going on to a, maybe a couple of others so Sogo obviously I've um, very Vocally. Can we just can we talk about quality yeah. first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could we could have a massive long list to get through by the end of it, <laughs> if we let you keep talking through every single horrible player we've got. I I actually I actually couldn't care less about Colaccini's ability as a captain. What concerns me more is his ability as a footballer, which I I would have to say he's he's one of the worst players in the Premier League at the moment. Is he a defender? I, I don't see him do much defending. I think there was a couple of times yesterday when he, he let it's like schoolboy stuff. This he seems reluctant to head the ball, like he yeah. lets the ball bounce. It. It's not even a, it's not even a physical battle anymore. He was never the best against big, powerful centre forwards, but his positional sense. He he was quick across the ground. He didn't what you call you know he, he wouldn't have pace across like fifty yards. But in terms of reading the game, that kind of extra couple of yards in his head, that was always his forte. That has just totally disappeared and. He's, he's, I wouldn't even say he's bullied because to be bullied by a centre forward you have to put up some kind of fight he just doesn't even try it looks like to me and I totally agree with everything you say Give him an, giving him a new contract was absolutely mental in the summer and I'll, I'll throw it back to you Richard before we get Ben's thoughts on him would you say that it's possibly um, you know, a worrying sign that he's that important in that dressing room you know not just um not just McLaren, but his predecessors as well have constantly talked up his importance in the dressing room. Well, if if he's the one apparently keeping it all together, fucking hell! Like who who are these who are these players? That like wh- wh- how could it get any worse in the dressing room if he was dropped? I, d- I just well, I can't exactly, see it. I mean, I, I don't know. He, he Colaccini in Newcastle is actually a, is proven to be quite a powerful figure because. You know, for, for for so long now, he's been at the heart of that defence, the heart of a defence that has conceded an absolutely incredible amount of goals over the last two or three years, an incredible amount of goals. So, for for, for someone to be so undroppable, but but also for for somebody to have so much faith put in him that he, he he's never he's never ever risked being like losing the captaincy. It it, it seems. It, it, again, it's concerning. Who's who's making those decisions? Who you know? You, you look at you look at McLaren, Charney, who everyone involved in keeping Colaccini at that club. What what is it that they're seeing in him that 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 that, that we aren't? Because I don't see any kind of you, you, Alex. You say that you don't care about him as a captain. Well, I do because right now this club needs a cap. The needs a captain. It needs a vocal presence on the pitch, and Colaccini isn't that person. So as well as as well as the fact that he's Actually, as a defender, been appalling for two or three years now. He, he he's got nothing about him. That that says to me, captain material, nothing. 
Yeah, well, I, when I say I don't care about him as a captain, it's it's more that if 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 he is the 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 captain, like I don't think giving someone else the armband of this current crop of players is going to all of a sudden create some kind of leadership surge amongst the team. I just think that he's so bad as a footballer that it's all like, you know, the, the captaincy question is secondary to how actually bad he is at his job, like you said. And he's, it's just, it's been such a a gradual decline. And I mean, I don't mean that in a kind of, it's been slow, but I mean like every single one of his assets has been stripped away, like one by one. First he lost his pace, which he didn't have loads, as I said, across 50 yards. Then he lost his positional sense. Then he lost his reading of the game. And then, as you just said there, he seemed to have lost his bottle. He seemed to have lost his, I don't know, appetite for the club and the game. Ben, thoughts on Colaccini before Richie moves on? Yeah, no, I mean, just to go back on the point that you said about giving him a contract. I mean, how I, the, the lad's got to have some incentive in his position. Like, what, what's happened to make, making players in, in their keeps? Do you know what I mean? He should, going into the last year of his contract, he should be playing to earn a new contract, not be playing... Not getting no, sent off, not getting sent off at Everton before the derby last season. Exactly, and it's just—I mean, that, it, as you say, it just gives him so much power because he knows he's in a in a comfortable position. As you say, because it's, the team is basically—I mean, almost built around him in terms of he's probably one of the first names on the sheet. It's it's just a massive. Basically, it, it, he's not under any pressure to perform or anything, is he? Um, he's guaranteed his spot every week. And it's just, I think it's just a really, it's no wonder that his play is getting worse and worse because there's, there's nothing there to drive him. He's got, he's got no reason to, 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 to perform and put himself out um, because at the end of the day, he's guaranteed to play every week. He's, um, he's, he's obviously getting very well paid from the club. Um, but just, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's, it's amazing that he's, as you say, he's just no, Clarence doesn't appear to be even considering dropping him he's saying there's no no chance he'll take the armband off him um, so that I mean you would read into that that there's no way he's getting dropped either and just yeah. as you say the, the level of play has been awful for so long I mean I think we've got the worst defence in the league at the minute joint with Bournemouth yeah. having conceded 30 goals yeah so from open, from open play as well we're the worst um, yeah and it's just I mean for, for years, for years it, we've, we've, we've had a joke we've, there's been the a best. joke at the back and, the, and they haven't strengthened it or anything and the best it's just problem. The best central defensive display this season came from Stephen Taylor at Man United. Um, not from Colachini or Mbemba. Mbemba started off promisingly. He also is a mess at the moment. Um, I just, I mean, we'll, we'll come on to McLaren later. I just don't see how he can't change it for Liverpool if he's still in charge, which he probably will be. Um, you've got to play the cells. You've just got it. Just, it just can't get any worse. But we'll move on. Who do you want to talk? Is it Sissoko next, Richie? Yeah, not probably not a, a huge deal to say about him to be honest, because I've, I've said it all before. Um, yesterday he looked bright and interested for the first um, five ten minutes, and then he completely and utterly lost interest in the game. I, I saw him. But you talked about Colaccini not wanting to uh, challenge for headers. There was I, I saw at least two two occasions in the first half where Sosoga the ball should have been challenging for a header, and he just doesn't even jump. Not interested. He's not interested in Newcastle. He's not interested in playing for the club. He's, you know, you can, you can probably say since he signed for us, he's probably had no more than ten games of where he's he stood out as a player on the pitch, and I'd say that's being generous. He doesn't want to be in Newcastle. He doesn't care. He isn't even that great a player. Um, I just think, what, what, why are we? What good is it having 
pests like him just hanging around <laughs> the club. You know, you, 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 he, he clearly is just completely and utterly disinterested in playing for us, and that's the bottom line. Uh, what worries me about him is all of the things that you've said there. I've spoke about Sissoko as well a lot, and I've stuck up for him. I still think he's one of our better players, but I agree with you. Like, if we could, if we could sell Mr. Sissoko in January and buy a player of not even equivalent ability of a player with less ability, but who was more consistent and tried and cared, I'd uh-huh. do it. But the, the, you get you had players, and Kabai was uh, one of these players that when they demand the ball, they get it. So when, whenever Johan Kabai wanted the ball off any any Castle player, he got it straight away. And Musa Sissoko is the same, and that kind of gives you a glimpse into his standing amongst the rest of the squad as well so he's clearly yeah. rated by his colleagues and again like to support your initial point if he's the player that the rest of them look up to it's a long way down from there because there's just you know like I stick up from all the time and I, I, I find myself sticking up from but I'm I'm not kind of even though I get a lot of stick for it I'm not saying I'm not disagreeing with people's point entirely I'm just saying I would hate to see us particularly some of the home games this season with some of the replacements that have been on the bench in his position but I mean you could talk about systems you could talk about other players and stuff like that but I, I can't I can't disagree he does not you know he's not a I'm trying to think of a player in the past he's he's not a Joey Barton who I didn't particularly rate any Castle ability wise or even a Kevin Nolan ability wise but they they got there and they give you 100% and they'd you know, they wouldn't. I wouldn't say they'd risk getting injured, but they'd put their body on the line. I don't think anybody can say Musa Sissoko is willing to risk anything for Newcastle apart from his reputation. Yeah, completely and utterly, utterly agree. And I don't. To be honest, I'm I'm, I'm fed up with the sight of him. If I'm being <laughs> brutally honest, I'm fed up with talking about him. I just, yeah. I, he's just, I, you know, you you saw in against Norwich, you saw that what he could do, and you saw that when he was on song. The rest of the team are on song, but it happens so, so, so infrequently. You just think, what's the point? What's the point? And just, you know, as you say, I'd rather someone in there who, even on the, on his day, might not have as much ability as as, as Sissoko might have on his day. But at least someone who's gonna, you know, you, he's gonna put in a decent performance. You know, every other game, not once every ten games. You know, uh, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up with him. I, yeah, I don't think there's much more to be said. Uh, who's next on your hit list? Um, I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like say, I'm gonna say Dummett. Now, for some reason, Paul Dummett gets classed as like a, as one of Newcastle's senior players. Now, going back two or three years, this lad had never played for Newcastle before. He'd been on loan at St Mirren, so I, I don't necessarily agree with when people call him a senior player. But again, I mean, I know Alex, you've said it before. Paul Dummett is not a left back. And he's not, and and I said before yesterday's match, I was thinking, he's, he's Wilfried Zaha will be laughing his head off playing against uh, Paul Dummett. Dummett will just, and I just, and you know Dummett, you know he's he's an he's an okay centre back, but is Paul Dummett actually that good? Is he that? Are we actually going down to the standards where we're saying, oh, you know, Paul Dummett's actually, you know, he's he's, he's okay as a centre back. The lad can't even run with the ball. Like it was embarrassing yesterday when he got when he got himself up the pitch. He kind of like he kind of crouches over the ball when he runs with it and then loses it. And he just he hasn't got a cross in him. He hasn't got a pass in him. He can't dribble with the ball. And I feel bad. Kind of he's not in the same bracket as like someone like Sissoko as far as his issues. But 
again, I think I think he's just kind of symptomatic of like how bad like our defense is, <laughs> and like and yeah, I mean maybe it's it's the wrong thing to be kind of putting him in that kind of. I don't think he's a senior player, but he, for some reason he does get classed as that. But I just think he's just Paul Dummett isn't a very good footballer, like, and I just think you know again it's just the fact that we just accept that that's you know. Yeah, he can play. He can play left back ahead of Kevin and Babu. Who you know, what's he done wrong? Uh, you know, what has he done wrong to be to be completely isolated out of the team? You know, it's just bonkers. Ben, I was going to let you answer this because I took Sissoko, but I'm going to have to. <laughs> you can have the next two, <laughs> or save it on this. No, no. I uh, a few weeks ago, off a lot on Twitter, got absolutely torn apart for suggesting that Dummett got exposed at left back at Bournemouth, and I had people chipping in. Having a go at us, saying Newcastle have won at Bournemouth, and you want to have a go at Paul Dummett. Ben, you remember this? Me, you, and Sai, a couple of pints. What the twenty ninth of uh, or thirtieth of December last year, before Everton at home, and we were talking about not going to the match if Paul Dummett was at left back because it we were because we're just, obviously we were Newcastle were in poor form, and it was it was literally what is like how have we got to the situation? And it's exactly what you've just said there. Where it's natural for, for Newcastle fans to go to a match with a lad who cannot play football in, in anything other than a defensive, you know, category at, at centre back, and he's he's a, t- he's a tackler and a header. Yeah, that's, that, that is what Paul Dummett can he's do. He's probably not proved himself yet as a Premier League centre back. You know, he's never yeah, paid 20, 30 games at centre back and create a partnership. He's been up against it's basically been Dummett or Williamson, so that's how he's been judged. And and for like you say, I said to the lads at the weekend, one of the one of McLaren's few success success stories this season was Hoyan and Babu in against Chelsea for his first Premier League start, and he was man of the match. And he mm-hmm. and this I'm going to come on to this later with McLaren about his his, his constant picking of the same players despite how they play. Paul Dummett has never had a good game at left back ever. So I mean, after the um, who did we get beat off last week? Leicester game. Paul Dummett did the post-match interview for Newcastle TV and he said that none of us, this is Paul Dummett's exact words, none of us were worthy of that black and white shirt today. So that, that's pretty strong words from Paul. Like, you know, fair, fair, fair play to him. And I, I, this is a ridiculously harsh thing to say, but surely he's got to be saying, he's got the best interest in Newcastle United at heart, he's got to be saying to the manager, I, I mean, I know Haidara got injured through the week for fucking four months. So that's four months of Paul Dummett we've got. Um... Surely he's got to be saying like Gaffer, I'm, I, I do not feel comfortable. I'm going to be up yeah. against Zahar and Balassi this week, and I don't know if you noticed. Well, if you, um, Alan Pardew played Balassi through the middle, not on the wing. Uh, and I disagree, Dugger. <laughs> yeah, you disagree. Well, who who in the right mind is going to come out and say oh, I don't fancy it this week? I don't think. Regardless, it, I don't regardless th- of whether it's fact or not, and we know it is fact. If he came out and said I don't think I should be playing this week. Like, he'd get this from everyone. He'd get this from everyone. Right, I'll just, I'll just clarify. Um, he, he wants to play. Like, he's not going but, to... But, but last week, Ben, against Leicester, he's come out. So, if he hadn't come out and said none of us were worthy of the black and white shirt, myself included, I'm trying to think to myself from that performance against Leicester, what Paul Dummett could have done better. And I, I don't think Paul Dummett could have done anything better against Leicester because he's not good enough. So, I don't think... So, for, for him to say we weren't worthy of the black and white shirt, my point is, if you're going to come out and make ridiculous statements like that in, in, in terms of the context of like right and then get beat 5-1 off Palace you know, you, you, I just I, 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 the point is I'm not happy that Paul Dummett 
is coming out and, and saying like really like you know kind of things like this like we're not worthy of the black and white shirt so right fair enough so the players now accept that that's not good enough against Leicester what's the reaction a 5-1 defeat where Paul, Paul Dummett yet again has his pants pulled down Wijnaldum who from it, I'm, I'm one of his big, biggest critics because Newcastle finishing 17th or whatever it was last year 16th um, couldn't afford to, to buy a player for £40 million who's who's not going to get involved in the game Wijnaldum is the, the left side is just an absolute farce him and, him and Mbappé together Wijnaldum were excellent you know, uh, against against Chelsea, it was it was one of the the, the biggest threats. And how come us three lads on a fucking Sunday night doing a podcast can see it? But Paul Dummett once again, who, who Richie's just run through his list of flaws, and there are many at left back, is saying you know like he, he can't play football, and we're going to go to the fucking match on uh, on Sunday, and Paul Dummett will be playing left back again against like Coutinho. And to to get back to the original point, Ben, before you just uh, came in there, you know, disagreeing, I was going to say. Pardew moved Balassi to the middle of the park for no other reason than to double up with Sahar against Dummett, which happened on numerous occasions in the first half. And it's just like, McLaren obviously didn't see that coming. And it's it's like, we say it all the time, it, it, opponents let Paul Dummett have the ball. Paul Dummett's got the ball. They back off. Let him come, lads. Let him come. You'll come in, you'll run about 10 yards, and then you'll do a really slow turn back onto his left foot and pass the ball backwards, if not lose the ball and find himself out of position. Paul Dummett isn't isn't the the reason Newcastle are shit. He's not even one of the main reasons. But it, I'm pleased he raised it, Richie, because it's just demoralising. Like we've accepted David Santon's playing for Inter Milan tonight in a top of the table clash in Serie A, being recalled to the Italy squad, and Paul Dummett plays left back for Newcastle. Paul Dummett, by the way, who was keeping Santon out the side at the time. But it was it was it was clear in the summer. I mean, I know we'll probably come on to this. One of the big issues I, I, I rang up radio, I was on Total Sport Radio Newcastle this week, and I was saying, you know, in the summer we made this massive song and dance about Newcastle spending 50 million. When, let's be honest, the transfer business that, when, if you looked at it, what we needed to do was completely half assed. And, and I link a lot of that down to fullbacks. Yeah. You, you, you like, Daryl Yamba, if Yamba gets injured, who goes in there right back we haven't got a bloody second right we haven't got we haven't got decent full back options it's absolutely ludicrous why didn't we bring in options in the yeah. summer you know it's absolutely crazy um, me, me last me last player I, I mean I could go on more but um, my, my, my last player I'm going to highlight is, is Vernon Anita um, the question got asked when we were stood in the bar yesterday at half time what, what is Vernon Anita and I'm um, and I just, you know, I, I remember last last year, a couple of people on Twitter t- like, talking about how Vernon Anita is the uh, Newcastle's best midfielder. Huh. How how he's like this, part you know, part you didn't really know how to get the best out of Vernon Anita. I was thinking, well, <laughs> hang on, to, to get that level of plaudits, you've got to at least show something. What has he ever shown? And you know, I, I'll say, what is Vernon Anita? He's a he's a he's a fullback. Because he played there for Ajax, right? And he might not have—I he, know he, he, he played centre midfield, but he played a played a fullback, mm. and he and he and he can do a, a fullback job job competently. Can he do a, a midfield job competently? No, because what does he bring? He doesn't—he he doesn't really tackle. He doesn't really pass the ball. He doesn't really offer anything going forward. He he, he finds himself sat so far back, like in front of the defence, that he that he almost just kind of. He he should be that kind of almost that missing link between 
you know the kind of the the, the back four in in, in the uh, and, and the players further up the pitch. I don't know what he is. I don't. I, I can't understand what he offers. What what does what did Alan Pardew see in Vernita? What does Steve McLaren see in Vernita? What is he bringing to the team? It's actually bonkers. Paid six and a half million quid for this bloke. Seven million. I want to get Ben's thought on this, but I'd say Pardew didn't rate any day. He, he hardly played him uh, when when he had options instead of him. Um, is you know I, like his, his first year at Newcastle, Anita, apart from games in Europe, was was spent largely on the bench. But Ben, do you do you agree with Richie there? Or do you have anything to say on it, Anita? Yeah, it's it's just mental that he gets he gets get a game regularly. Um, I mean, you've said it. He almost seems to be McLaren. Almost seems to be building a team around him. It's just he's, he's he's not even very good on ball. We always said, oh, he's he's a, a decent sort of possession player. He probably when he first came, it was always the narrative that oh, he'd maybe be decent in a five-man midfield sort of. The, the just keeping the ball moving, um, but he, he's not even good at, at ball retention. I mean, some of the, the passes he gives. I mean, I've had a go at him for the last couple of weeks. He does it sort of two or three times a game where he'll get the ball, someone will put him under pressure, and he'll just give it nothing past to the in no man's land, where generally the opposition run onto it and they're through one on one with with, with a cute whatever. He's, he, he's just he's not very good on the ball. He doesn't offer anything sort of defensively. I mean, he's a tiny little bloke, so nobody's going to be. I'll say this for him: he can't, he can't cross. He doesn't take set pieces. He can't, uh, you know, he's not fast. He doesn't really tackle. He doesn't really spread the play. He's not a box-to-box player. He doesn't score any goals. You know, <laughs> I've just listed like the attributes that you'd like from a midfielder, and he does absolutely none of them. He, he is. If you think, if you think of Vernita's career at Newcastle, again, I'll go back to me point I made at the start of the podcast. He is. A serial loser. He, he, every, you know, he, he is just his career at Newcastle has been losing time and time and time again. You know that that's 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 the, that's the reality of it. And and in summary, we've just got a we've got a core of players. I could have I could have said more. The likes of Cicciano, he scored yesterday, but he did absolutely nothing else apart from that. Um, we've 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 just got a we've just got a, a core of. Players stinking the place out that have been there for too long and that aren't good enough. And you know, Chira said on a match of the day last night, you said the bottom line is they've got players there that aren't good enough. And 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 I think it's not just not being good enough that they're just they're just a bunch of losers. Like, yeah, and I, I think um, although he's been named Football Writers Player of the Year or something like that, um, I think Daryl Yamas doesn't escape. Um, yeah. You know, capability, and I, I'm a mass. I think he's. I think he's a, a really good player. He could play for a top four team for me, considering with what he plays with. But he it, it just seems to have given up. He he was always the one who was under Carver, especially. He was the one speaking to the media every week, and it was always like send Daryl Yamat out. Um, they basically decided. Uh, you know, they've given up on that. Whether he doesn't want to or not, I don't know. Whether he's looking for a move, but. 
again, he's just... Well, he's, I think uh, he said yesterday, I think it might have been before the match, actually, Alex, or this week he got interviewed and he said, oh, the fans are sick of hearing me come out and saying that, <laughs> you know, it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Like, that, that was his interview. <laughs> yeah. And, um... Yeah, I, I think we'll move on. We'll move on from the players, but the, I, I totally agree with your main point, Richie, that what, what, when we're, I'm going to ask Ben about the manager. We'll have a bit chat about the manager next, but the players at this club, I think any manager's going to struggle with them, and I think that, like you say, they're just used to losing. And I, I want to talk later on in the show about the culture at Newcastle United, and I think that the, the players, these players are never going to be winners wherever they go. I don't think... Um, Musa Sissoko, Musa Sissoko is, going, is going to try hard at his next club, whether it's Champions League club or not. It probably won't count as much as being a terrible, terrible team like Newcastle, but they are just losers. So it's a good point. Ben, let's talk about our manager, Steve McLaren. Uh, I'll, I'll ask you a simple question to start it off. Would you sack him? I, I would, but I don't think it would make any difference. So why would you sack um, him? <laughs> just because he's, he's rubbish at his job stuff. I mean, you in, I mean, he's he's been given 50 million worth of players brought in, whether you agree how good they are or how effective or not, it's a lot of investment, and um, I, I bet if you gave, I mean, if you gave Eddie Howe 50 million or Alex Neal 50 million at Norwich or Bournemouth, they would get a hell of a lot more out of, out of the Yeah, I, I wouldn't say he's, I wouldn't say he's being given 50 million, we all know, I'd, I'd, I'd very much doubt, well, no, it's, no, clear, no, it's if, clear he... If, they, if you put those five players that were bought into any of the other teams they'll be getting more out of them I have no doubt and it's because his system just doesn't work well if he has one um, we've, we've talked consistently about how he doesn't he doesn't seem to have a plan um, I mean he, he basically stumbled across 4-4-2 because 4-5-1 or the 4-2-3-1 wasn't working um, for, the, for the start of the season he yeah. doesn't have any sort of plan to shut teams down he, like teams are literally given a free licence to play against Newcastle United they're just allowed to do whatever they want. He doesn't. He doesn't think about things like doubling up on their, their key players. I mean, as you said, Belassi moved into the middle last week. Why didn't we have two players just marking them out of the game? Because he was the, he was the really the, him and Kabai were the two that were, were sort of um, doing all the play. I mean, Punchin's not really going to do a huge amount. I think Zaha isn't isn't quite up to their level yet. Although he is a good player, and obviously against Dummett, he was he had a field day. But I think if we stop Belassi and we stop um, get Kabai from getting on the ball then you, you've got a good chance of shutting Palace down when we look at um, Sunderland the, the other night they didn't let Belassi sort of get any real space and I mean a lot of that was just because they were sitting in their own 20 yards um, but but it, it was effective it worked what do we do we come out there and we'll have a go at them and we'll leave ourselves completely wide open I mean we nailed them in circle we're starting to pitch up so far high sort of attacking look look and with an attacking intent that every time we lost the ball they were basically through <laughs> through on the back four and we were overrun at times where there was five or six of them attacking against the, the back four and you just think what what's his plan here we didn't have a clue to how, how to stop them from playing and when you're down at the bottom of the league I mean I get obviously the attacking play has got to be we've got to be looking to score goals but when you're just leaving yourself as open as you are at the back You've got to have some sort of, of pattern to play, and just the, the the players that he's playing, especially. Um, I mean, the effort's not really there. So why why are you allowing um, the midfield to go on and attack where you know they're not going to burst the lung to get back? 
you, you need to be thinking about what, what what happens if we lose the ball in situations. And I just think he, he doesn't have a plan. He's basically sending the team out there to, to just go in and try and, and score goals. And there's, there's not really any more to his play. We're, we're, you wouldn't say we're a particularly possession side. I mean, there, there was things that he started at the start of the season um, where he was, it was Colaccini and um, Bembe were sort of splitting wide off the keeper um, to, to bring the ball out. The wing backs were pushing a bit further up. And, and the idea was to sort of spread spread the play so you could play out from the back. That seems to have been abandoned. Um, probably because it, it wasn't really working. And just there's, there's no there's nobody in that team really willing to take any um, responsibility to, to make the play happen. Uh, as you say, Wijnaldum, who should be one of the, the big sort of players in Sissoko, they go missing in games and it's not good enough, but it's because he's not putting them in a position to, to allow them to, to prosper. And just the, there's too many players who are isolated on the, on the pitch from from the, the, the way you've got the team playing. And I just think it's it's absolutely rubbish. For someone who's meant to, who's meant to have a really good reputation abroad and was a former England manager and all that, how, like, how is he getting away with that? You've got to be able to do the basics. And we're just we're not doing anything right. And I think that, that at the end of the day, regardless of the players he's playing with, he's got to take responsibility for, for how he's, he's setting them up. You've got to give players a chance to... I would absolutely sack him. A uh, couple of reasons before I come to Richie. Number one, he's jumped into bed with the devil, and by that I mean I don't just mean working for Charlie and Ashley, because obviously someone will have to work for them. I mean, he he saw what Newcastle United was, he saw the structure in place, he saw that he would have absolutely no say in players coming in, he saw that he would be on a football board with Bob fucking Monker, and he said yes, he thought, you know what, this is for me. So I've got no sympathy for him. Uh, you know, I, I, I do believe that like for example if a David Moyes was to come in and say right I'm coming in uh, Graham Carr goes he has absolutely no value to the football club his signings have been mostly terrible I'm in charge of transfers now um, with the support of an appointed director of football a scout who who I'm comfortable with who I can appoint all by himself then I do think you know some like basic stuff um, could be done you know defending in football is the easy bit like anyone can set up a team Defensively, if they try hard enough, if they've got, if they've got some footballers of a, a reasonable level, which Newcastle have, it is easy to set up a team to be defensive. That's where your Tony Pulis has come in. That's where your Sam Allardyce has come in. It, it's like Sunderland have kept two clean sheets um, in the past week. You know, with the same players who are leaking goals constantly, those players aren't any better because Sam Allardyce is there. He's just training them properly. And by the way, like I don't, you know, they were absolutely dire against Palace. And then I don't think they had a shot on target before Stoke got a man sent off yesterday. So this uh, Allardyce narrative that he's turned things around, the look they've had has just been incredible, obviously, including the win against Newcastle. But he's certainly a better manager than McLaren, that's for sure. Um, Steve McLaren, like you said, Ben, he went through the whole of pre-season talking to the media, talking about playing two up front. He then continued with the same failed formation that Newcastle tried under Pardew and Carver in a des- an act of desperation after the Chef Webb game when he still played with one up front despite Chef Webb playing two up front. He still played with one up front and it didn't work. Against Chelsea, he went a two up front or a 4-4-1-1. He has now reverted back yesterday 
to that four-two-three-one, which, like lo and behold, it didn't work. Would it have been much worse to play two up front? Like, how could it have been any worse to play Mitrovic and Cissé? I'm not saying that's the answer. I'm just thinking, well, playing this formation, which is an absolute disaster, time and time again, where Anita and Korbach are stuck in front of the back four. No one takes responsibility. You have players because because they feel like that. You know, the 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 game is on top of them so much because Newcastle's players. In this four-two-three-one, you could throw a blanket over them at sometimes, and they're all kind of in the middle of the pitch. You get players diving in all over the place. There's no outlet. You've got Cisse by himself. We we I'm sick and tired of talking about this kind of thing on this on this podcast. I'm sure you lot listen are sick of hearing me saying it. Steve McLaren doesn't know what he's doing. He doesn't have a he doesn't have a clue. And he's come out at the end of yesterday's game and said it's not about systems. Well, I'm sorry, Steve. You played fucking Paul Dummett at left back. With no protection in front of them, you played a neater and callback in front of the back four, where they're both worse than where they usually are in the pitch. And you played Cisse up front by himself. We went to fucking Swansea, Ben. We saw Cisse play up front by himself. It wasn't even a performance from a footballer. It was so bad. Like Steve McLaren is to blame for Newcastle um, winning two out of what fourteen league games, soon to be sixteen. We're not going to beat Spurs and uh, in Liverpool. Absolutely no chance. So it's going to be two wins from 16 league games. That's a disgrace. And Newcastle being shit is not Steve McLaren's fault. Newcastle would probably be shit overall with the current uh, structure we have in place. But Newcastle winning two out of 14 league games, having 10 points from 14 league games, is Steve McLaren's fault. And he doesn't deserve to be in a job. And if you had any, any dignity, resign. Richie, I don't know what you think. I mean, you make compelling arguments. It's, it's, it's kind of hard to disagree. I mean... Where I was yesterday, my head was thinking: Does does sacking does it solve anything? You know, who are the compelling replacements? Um, you know, Moyes and Rogers. You'd imagine are probably the two that the the pick from. And you know, talking about managers that have been like you know being sacked and all the rest of it. You know, Moyes has just had a bit of a miserable time in in Spain and got the boot. Uh, Rogers went horribly wrong for him. Although I think out of the two, I'd probably take him. But take that all the side. Um, you're right. I was absolutely um, gobsmacked yesterday for two two things when the when the teams came out. First of all, the point that you've just made, going back to the same system that didn't work for Pardew for a year, didn't work for John Carver for six months. Didn't work for Steve McLaren for the first eight or nine games. Everyone else could see it didn't work, but you know it took Steve McLaren, you know, eight or nine games in the season to say this is I mean, what what you know what is this formation about. Changes it, and four or five games later, suddenly thinks, oh, that that four two three one uh, structure, that, let's let's give that a try again. It's absolutely bonkers. And then Richie, absolute- and then Richie had to change at half time, which is again a fucking admi- an admission that like he was just wrong. Yep. My second point when I saw the, the team sheet was this. All week I've been thinking, Cien de Jong must be able to get his chance this week. He must be able to. And I was fully expecting to see his name on the team sheet. Yes, Jack Colback, who I actually, you know, like you, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a fan of Jack Colback. Without thinking he's, he's, he's an amazing player, I think he's, he's an alright player. He was on crutches two weeks ago. <laughs> He hasn't even been like you know. He hasn't even like had half a half a game of football and been brought back slowly. He's got he's got in in front of CMD on, and I'm thinking, what is going on there? Like, what is 
this this player that we signed 18 months ago and we thought every, big song and dance about Apogee compared to Sheringham you know this this bloke who's going to be like the filling the gaps of like you know the, maybe not a direct replacement for Kabai but just having that that kind of player involved he can't even get now in front of a player he can't he can't get in front of Vinan and Anita who's been huh. shy for three years he can't get in front of Colback who was on crutches about two weeks ago and he can't get in front of the likes of Sissoko who who doesn't give a shit and and why not like I agree he's been anonymous in in, in, in recent weeks absolutely bonkers what's going on there someone needs to the CMD on question they've got to ask it because it's actually bizarre it's bonkers um, Steve McLaren I feel like his, his form and his record and when you look at everything you know has the improvements that have been made you think any other any other club he'd be he'd be on his arse he'd probably be out of a job he probably would be even this early on into his career because it's just been there's, you could say it's been a, nothing's nothing's got better. You could almost say it's actually arguably worse than last season. I, you know when you just when you when you bounce it all out, it's actually crazy. Yeah, and um, I don't know if you've noticed. Uh, Luke de Jong tweeted during the game yesterday, which he was obviously watching because PSV were playing today. I think at half time, he, uh, he he tweeted um, surely the manager. He, he tweeted some some kind of sarcastic response about which is clearly. In relation to his brother not playing, and I agree with you. For my final point on McLaren, um, the thing that one of the things that just does me hesitant is his persistence in picking this this same team over and over and over again. I mean, Darlow was on the bench yesterday. Um, Mitrovic was on the bench. Lascelles was on the bench. De Jong, like surely those players, you've got to give them a chance. Now, I know, I know, I, I don't like Robbie Elliott. It's it's well publicised, but Darlow came into this club as as the number two goalkeeper. Hence, he was he selected on the bench most of the season, and then he was started against Northampton. Rob Elliott concedes goals for fun. I'm not going to get into it now. I I, I don't think he's a Premier League keeper. Lascelles, what has he got to do to get a Premier League start? We can't stop conceding goals. Mbappe, what has he got to do to get a Premier League start? I mean, I'm, I don't think Mbappe was on the bench yesterday, so he might be injured. But he, I know he's been fit in previous weeks. And like you say, um, De Jong, it's just absolutely mental and. For me, McLaren is a busted flush as a manager. He shouldn't have been given the job. He's basically been given the job because Graham Carr wants him to get the job and he enjoyed a good relationship with him. That will come on to Graham Carr next. That is another um, indication that Graham Carr should not have anything to do with Newcastle United moving forward. And you know, Very few Premier League boards um, would, would put up for two wins. In, well, I'm, I'm going to call it two wins in 16 because we're not going to beat Liverpool and Spurs. And then if we don't beat... Villa, and then it's Everton, West Brom, Arsenal. You know that it's relegated. You're basically relegated. The club absolutely have to act now. They need to sack him this week. I don't think they will. But what what is the point of leaving him in there for for Liverpool, who are absolutely flying, and um, who you know in the past two Premier League away games against Man City and Chelsea scored have scored seven goals and could have scored seventeen goals. What is the point of keeping Steve McLaren for these games? You're basically keeping him in, hoping we don't get humiliated again in either game, and, and we we'll beat Vile. It just to me, I said this where uh, when we used to constantly talk about Pardew at the start of the show. I always look at a manager's last game when they're sacked, and I said, "Oh, Brendan Rodgers this year." And I thought, if they'd have if they'd have beaten Everton in the Merseyside derby, would he have been sacked? And I'd have thought, I thought would he, it was still the right decision to sack him. I thought, but. No, he probably wouldn't, and you have to look at the, the the boards. And 
the the famous one is Nigel Atkins, who who won his who actually won a match for Southampton before being sacked. You've got to say the Southampton board were absolutely correct in what they did. What is the point of you know of letting Steve McLaren have have almost two more two to three more games of of an audition for a job when in in reality we all know what's going to happen. It's just it's pointless keeping them on. It's absolutely pointless. It it makes literally no football sense. You give Steve McLaren them um, what? Say Newcastle signed four decent players in January. What you're going to do? If, say I'm trying to think of a midfield off the top of my head. Say all your dreams came true, Richie, and he got John Joe Shelby, <laughs> who, who the club seem to be permanently linked with as a joke because there's no way they're going to sign him. There's no way he'd come. What are you going to do? Play him in front of the back four as a defensive midfielder alongside Vernon and Anita. It would just be pointless. It would it would just literally be pointless. The need to sack him, the need to get David Moyes, anyone really, just anyone who, like I was saying before, def- the defending part of football is easy. I can't understand why Newcastle can't defend. Make them players mark, run, run fast, tackle hard. That's the easy part. Constructing like you know difficult attacking plans. Is the part where, like you know, um, Pep Guardiola owns his money. The defensive part of it is is piss easy. That's why, like I said, the like limited football people like Tony Pulis will always be in a job in the Premier League. He'll always get a job at some lower Premier League side. So so will Sam Allardyce because they know how to concede few enough goals to keep their teams in the league. It just yeah. absolutely baffles me. Steve, Steve McLaren, I don't even think he's a he's a good Championship manager. His record at Derby was a disgrace in two thousand fifteen. And his record at Nottingham Forest before that was a disgrace. His record at Wolfsburg was shit. And his record at Twente was shit. That's his last five jobs. He's been a disaster at all of them and something is not right. But we'll have to the, move the on. Season is, the season is essentially turning to praying for Jan, the January transfer window to come around as quick as possible. And I guess you could say, well, if that's if that's what the season's about, then 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 you know why 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 are you why are you just going to stick with McLaren just just to just to for the sake of it and just to kind of get these games like lose lose the next few games just to get them out of the way so we can get the new players and that's not the way it should be it should be it should be like we need to get this sorted now you know like uh, so when people say McLaren wasn't he's let down McLaren, McLaren that was the crack last week in the in the papers McLaren feels he was let down by the board and not in not getting English players well you, you, you know it, being any castle manager with Graham Carr and Lee Charney as your immediate bosses you know what you're getting into. So I agree, like Ben, when you're saying there's, there's no point sacking him. I, I almost agree. Sacking Steve McLaren in itself isn't enough. It's almost pointless because Graham Carr will appoint the next manager and he will probably appoint someone who he knows will want to work with him, not threaten his job. Graham Carr's a protectionist, I'm sure, just like any any other person in employment is regarding their own role. So that takes us on. Ben, I'll start with you. Graham Carr and Lee Charnley. I mean... Mick Martin today in his uh, True Faith editorial has said it's, an ap- it's absolutely essential again that Mike Ashley acts this week and dismiss- dismisses both of them. Would you agree with that? I would, but again, it won't happen. But, I mean, they are... I mean, at the end of the day, um, Ash- Ashley's come out and says basically those two run the club for him. Um, and you look at the state of affairs, it's just... How, how, do, how is he... I mean, regardless of your, your opinions on Ashley... He's a businessman. How is he allowing these two to get away with just subpar performances year in, year out? We've made no progression in the last couple of years. Um, and it's, it's just, it's absolutely mental that they're, they're not really held accountable for anything, it seems. You'd think by now, um, the, the, I mean, the football side of things, it's, it's meant to be in the Charlie. 
every decision he's made has, it hasn't worked. And Great you just point. Think, what, what, what has he got to do? What has he got to do to get to lose his job? Let me literally. Let me talk you through. Let me talk you through. Uh, Lee Lee Charlie's Newcastle United career as manager and director or CEO or whatever he is. He was brought in when Derek Lambias, who was very unpopular amongst Newcastle fans, but it has to be said as a man of principle, when he resigned at Joe Kinnear's, um return to the football club, uh, Derek Lee Charlie basically got a job out of that. So he had no problem with Joe Kinnear in the football club. He let Joe Kinnear botch the sale of Johan Kabai. Apparently, the club wanted near £30 million pounds with him, uh, or £20 million pounds for him, and was sold him for something like €19 million Euros because allegedly Joe Gunier didn't understand there was a currency uh, difference between the two. So that Lee Charney had his fingerprints on that. He has his fingerprints on announcing that the day after we sold Kabai that Newcastle United. Sorry, <coughs> that Newcastle United would, would be building a, or extending redevelopment their training training ground in a five million pounds plan. Um, he Lee Charlie has since admitted that to support the squad that those plans have been pulled because they need the money for player sales. So that's another thing that Lee Charlie's done. Major thing: redevelop the training ground. That's you know plans for the future. He's backtracking on that. He was part of the well. He took the decision to um, allow John Carver who had won zero of his games and charges caretaker, he allowed him to take the reins for the rest of the season. So that was that was a, that, that was a terrible decision. I don't think anyone can argue with that. That was an absolutely dis- terrible decision. And then this summer, he is allowed... Um, that He's only interviewed, allegedly, one man for the job. Steve McLaren was the only candidate for the Newcastle United job. So that's again that in itself. Whether whether we gave the decision to the job of McLaren itself, that's another terrible decision. And then this summer, he's again allowed Graham Carr to buy terribly in the transfer market and not identify the the positions on the pitch which needed real work, namely fullback, centre midfield, and buying a fast striker because I think Mitrovic is still a good player. So you're, you're totally right. Lee Charnley has done a terrible, terrible job at Newcastle United. How he still has. Any kind of role within the club is, is is beyond me, Richie. I want to come on to something that you've said. Can, all the... can I just say, just yeah. put in there one quick as well. Just <coughs> you said that about Carr as well. Um, I'm going to come on to him separate. I'll come back to you about Carr. I'll come back to you about Carr because uh, we've just kind of got going on Charlie. Richie, you mentioned before to me about the mentality of the club and the people running it, and I, I presume you're explicitly referring to Lee Charlie. Why don't you talk us through that? Yeah, I mean. Um... Lee Charnley and, and, and Mike Ashley to, as, as a collective two constantly think that um, you know try and almost rewrite the the, the 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 principles or the rules of like football and how like successful teams are developed. They don't they don't believe in it. They feel that you know they should uh, they do things another way and that what they do is the the right way. Yet time and time again, they constantly constantly make the wrong errors. They. You know, and, and in the summer was the first time that we'd actually heard um, from both Charlie and Ashley that they they, they they made mistakes. They weren't they didn't they weren't specific in, in, in what they were, but it's, it's obviously evident to a lot of people in their head that it was probably talked a lot about um, you know the the underinvestment in the in the in, in the squad. But it goes beyond that. It, it, it goes into things like the actual overall transfer policy. You know who who is who is dictating that policy? I mean, is, is my Ashley saying, you know, 
Graham Carr, you need to you need to go and you need to scout these you know uh, in these countries, and you need to look for this profile of player. And you know we're, we're not looking for Premier League proven players, and we're not looking for not necessarily looking for for, for British players. Is it, is it is it Mike actually saying that, or is it Lee Charney saying, Mike? I'm telling you, you know, stick with stick with us. This will work. You know, it, it'll it'll happen. You know, I just keep on. You know, trust trust us. We're going to keep on going down this route. Who who is making those calls? Because and again, for two or three years, it hasn't worked. In fact, in fact, it hasn't. It's not that it hasn't worked. It's been an absolute failure. It's got. It's getting the stage now where. They're not even. We're not even really getting bids for players anymore because the players that they're getting in are not even that good. Um, and I just, yeah, I mean, again, I'd love, I'd love to know. I don't think anyone really knows who is calling the shots. Like, is my Ashley? Is he just kind of put his faith into Lee Charnley and allows Charnley just to kind of make the decisions? Is Lee Charnley literally just almost just a, a you know just like a, a like a puppet? Is was the best the best example where? He just basically relays what what Mike Ashley says, and that that's all he does. He doesn't actually have any genuine like insight or genuine like anything to bring to the table from a strategy point of view. He's literally just a bloke there who Mike Ashley trusts in, and you know that's and that's that's where that that's where Lee Charney's kind of credentials end. That Mike Mike Ashley just trusts in him as a person to stay to stay on his side. I don't know. I don't think anyone really knows, but. Um, He's he's just Lee Charney is just an it's an absolute disgrace that someone who is at such a high level in, involved in that strategy of a club, how he has got that job and continues to be in that in that job, it's just it's it's bizarre. It, it wouldn't happen in any other football club. This would not this would not happen. A bloke who, as far as we know, was was nothing more than just a an, a, a tea boy and an administrator in the club, and he's and he's there. Dictating how fifty million pounds is getting is getting spent, and you know the the, 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 the strategy and the, the future of the club—it's absolutely ridiculous. You know what the worst thing is? Well, the worst, one of the worst things is for me. Lee Charnley won't speak to the media. He won't do interviews. To me, that's that's bizarre. He's the managing director of well. The biggest company in the northeast. I mean, like you know, you've got Sage, and I'm sure there are bigger companies turnover wise. But, but let's call it on, on reputation, on worldwide fame. Yeah. Lee Chong is the managing director of the biggest um, company in the northeast, the biggest football club, in my opinion, in you know outside of the northwest and north of England. And he won't speak to the media, so it's only right that I speculate what his what his passion is for Newcastle United and everything I've seen of Lee Chong. Me drawn from the decisions he makes I don't think he has any kind of affection for Newcastle United and I don't think you can find another Premier League club where both the owner and the bloke running the club have any kind of get any kind of joy from their work I don't think Lee Charnley enjoys his job and I know that's speculative because we don't know him we know nothing about him but his lack of activity on that front can only lead me to speculate on a very 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 different level like I'm also a managing director of my company and I put absolutely everything I can into into the success of my company for my customers and my staff everything I I don't think Lee Charney puts everything into Newcastle United I don't think he's capable I don't think he cares enough why would you name John Carver manager 
in the last season, why would you say 17th place is enough? Why would you not care about the cup competitions? I don't think Lee Charney cares. I don't think Lee, Lee Charney gives a fuck about Newcastle United. He cares about placating Mike Ashley and saving money. The two don't go hand in hand, and he's... I, I think he's a he's a bigger problem than John um, than Steve McLaren. I'd much rather see if one of them had to go this week for the long term success of Newcastle United. I would much rather it was Lee Charney. So I, I completely agree, and I think I think just on the point of like what does Lee Charney stand for? Where he knows that he will never ever ever get a job as big as the one he's got now. He, he just won't, and and he and he knows that he, for him to basically stay in his job, he's just got to be. You know, Ashley's a little, Ashley's a little arseliker is, is what he is, and 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 he's probably on a, you know, he probably makes a decent amount of money um, in, in the form of a salary and bonuses and the rest of it. But he's, he, uh, he, you know, he's, you're, you're right in, in that in that basis. All he cares about is himself and and, and, and knowing that he, he actually would never ever get a job on on that level of seniority anywhere else. And that and that that in itself, if you take away his decisions so far and you take away the club. That in itself is a, ba- a bad thing because it reduces risk taking. Not that we want risks to be taken, but he knows he'd probably lose his job if um, Newcastle got relegated. So if he has the chance of investing last January or making sure that Newcastle potentially made a loss or you know got a couple of places higher or even qualified for the Europa League, in his mind he sees it as I stay up, I keep my job because he's not going to get a job like this anywhere. <clears throat> Sorry anywhere else giving unqualified people jobs like this creates this situation of inertia and I don't know I just I, I don't think Lee Chong loves his job I don't think Lee Chong loves Newcastle United and you don't any CEO or managing director you don't have to love the company you work for but you have to have its best interest at heart and like I said before he does not have Newcastle United's best interest as a sporting institution at heart he has Mike Ashley's business interest at heart and I, tell you, just, I, tell you, I tell you who doesn't love him mate on that basis his customers don't love him. Yeah, no. <laughs> His customers hate him, and I think that's that says it all. Definitely, I think we've torn each other apart, Ben. So why don't you talk talk us about Graham Carr? Just uh, the point I was going to say earlier was it's mental, really. That I, I don't think he has anything really to do with um, the, the current squad of players in terms of like. I'd love to know. I don't think he will do. If he's evaluating the squad at the minute, because if you if they had have done if they had have done and they had have done it properly in the summer, he would have been able to evaluate the team, figure out where we were weakest, and as you said earlier, they would have bought a couple of fullbacks as a priority. Central midfielder, um, at least one central midfielder. exactly. And okay, we've got a strike on a centre back in, but probably you should have got two in of each position. Well, easily. And you just think yeah. he's not he's not he's not evaluating the current squad of what it needs. He's out there just looking for, for potential players that, as I've said before, young players that could be sold on for extra value. So that's why he ended up with the likes of Cabela and Tovan because there weren't sort of there were ten ten million sort of pound players that if everything went well, potentially there were twenty twenty five million pound players that the likes of PSG might have come in for. Obviously, it's not worked out that way, um, and but. but we joke about it all the time he consistently buys the same types of players because they must think they're the types of players that teams are looking for the special sort of creative creative players that, that teams will look, will look to, to get and if he can crack one where one comes in and does really well it's going to be a valuable asset 
now that's just a mental way of, of picking the team and you, you just think but like how how is he being allowed to just solely take on the, the decisions of, of who we're signing I mean apparently McLaren has obviously been on the board has a, some sort of day in it but how much do you count out given the, the players that we signed I just think it's mental that a guy that's never really excelled in, in anything that he's done previously either I mean he came from Man City and um and North County, which I, I don't remember either of them doing anything uh, significant. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you, all, I'll tell you all about all this time at Man City in a minute. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you told me before, um, but my point is, is that they, 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 they're not uh, jobs where you thought, oh, he, he turned the team around and and look at them now. Like for, for example, had he been at Southampton, but then when they were in League One and he'd set a platform and, and bought a team that's then gone on to be in the Premier League. Fair enough, he's, he's done something in his job, but he's, he's never, he hasn't got a portfolio of, of anything that he's done worth noting. And you just think, how is he being basically given single handedly and given the reins to run the football club? It's absolutely mental. And no wonder where, where we are. I'll tell, I'll tell you, look at listeners, about Graham Carr if you haven't heard it before. For a true faith piece, which didn't get published, um, I researched Graham Carr at length and about his record and to answer the questions that you've just raised, Ben. And you realise that Graham Carr is exactly the kind of bloke Lee Charney and Mike Ashley are after. His, not- his notable spell as chief scout came at Manchester City before they were bought out, well, and, and when they were bought out by Thaskin Sinawatra, and he was basically involved in the, cr- the recruitment of the team under Stuart Pearce and um, Sven Goran Eriksson who scored only 12 goals in 19 home games. His overall time at Man City, I think it was three seasons, including when Keegan was there, before Man City, three or four seasons before Man City were bought out by Sinawatra, who then started spending money the club didn't have. He actually made a profit on player sales. Man City didn't finish any higher than 13th in the league. Um, and it just makes horrible reading because you realise pretty quickly what, what the saw in Graham Carr when they got his CV, they were like, you're at Man City. Uh, oh, you, you made what well, you made sales on players. Yeah, whilst keeping the club in the Premier League were, were terrible. The the city of Manchester was like, you know, regularly eight 9,000 empty seats. The, 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 the fans didn't like the board, they didn't like the manager, but you made a profit on player sales. Have the job at Newcastle. And it, it would be foolish to think that as, you know, his um, is modus operandi has changed. When Sinawatra did join the club, uh, Carr retained his job before being, I don't know, whether he moved on or was sacked, or he, he seemed to go with Ericsson to Notts County, his, his overall signings in that period for Manchester City were an absolute disaster. There was absolutely no one there who um, who was, is considered as a Manchester City uh, legend or a player Manchester City fans, not that I'll know, but would refer to kindly. You know, I'm thinking of the likes of uh, Rolando Bianchi for nine million pounds, four Premier League goals. Giorgio Samaras, uh, seven and a half million pounds, something like eleven Premier League goals, and just countless other. You read through the list of players, and you quickly see that even at Man City as well, he was very much buying cheap from abroad. Abroad, and it, it just it just didn't work. So how again? He's I mean, the bloke's seventy-two year old. I think he's a seventy-two-year-old yeah. man. And he's in charge of, of, of all player recruitments and senior staff recruitment, you'd imagine, in Newcastle United. He is, he is completely in charge of that. Um, and he's another one who doesn't speak to the media. 
if we go back to the end of the 11-12 season, that period between 11-12 and 12-13, when it all went tits up because we only bought Vernon and Nita in to to improve that squad, Graham Conn was actually handing out interviews for fun to anyone who wanted them. He was on Talk Sport at least three times and he did one lengthy interview with uh, Adrian Durham on Talk Sport, which you can still get the recording of. And if people have got spare five minutes, I'd, I'd recommend listening to it. He, I'm not saying he's a terrible bloke personally, but he's not. He wasn't afraid of, of of talking up what he did or what he, you know, or the players he signed. And he was saying he'd followed Kabai and Dunbar since he was 17 and from Africa. And oh, he's, he had, you know, he he watched players for 10 years before even considering making a signing. And he, and I just get the feeling. Did you really? Did you really watch Florian Tovan for that long to to, to 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 kind of think he was with 12 million pounds in a position that we didn't need filled? compared to the positions that did need filled it goes back to the question that you said uh, Richie is is Carr saying we're going to buy X, Y and Z or is Carr saying right I've identified these 15 players in these positions and then Charlie's saying well we'll have him, him and him because you know for whatever reason it's a really tough one but yet again it's it's, it's been proved that um, if you look at last summer's recruitment there's only um, Jan Matt and Kobach of the seven players to make any impact whatsoever, I think you'd agree there. I'm not being harsh on any of the other lads, am I? Who've come in? Not anyone. Yeah, so I'd say two out, two out of seven there, and then you'd have to say, I mean, Mbemba is um, playing every week. Hang on, Perez. Do we say Perez? I I don't I don't class Perez as 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 Carl signing Perez supposedly as Alan Pardew signing one that Pardew really really pushed for from the board. Um, to say, listen, there's a lad playing for Tenerife. So that's just what I've heard. That that was an Alan Pardew signing, not a, not a Graham Carr signing. Um, I can imagine Pardew going over to Tenerife every summer on holiday, so it's probably yeah. just, you know, <laughs> all around. Yeah, like chatting up like twenty year old birds in a bar or something. You've got this. If if Mbemba was to be dropped for Sunday, you, I don't think. I mean, I'd rather Colachini was dropped, but something's something's got to change at the back. I would say that none of his what is it five for coming this summer. Have been, have been what you'd say at the moment you'd say right this is a player who can represent the Cassian United in the Premier League Mitrovic has got a lot of um, you know promise Wijnaldum's got promise I'd say out of, the, of those 12 signings in the past two summers when he's been given what 90 million quid to spend I'd say Jack Colback and Daryl Yanmat who was fucking Holland's right back at the World Cup finishing third who's hardly like an unknown quantity I'd say that's the extent of his of his work being positive, and I think on that alone, if you forget about what's happened before, he deserves to lose his job. I don't know if you agree, lads. Yeah, I mean, um, my my big question with him is, I, I just I just think a, a lot of it is is the unknown. You know, it, if Graham Carr was being told to scout for more Premier League proven players, which is which is what we need you know it's, 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 it's what we need if he, if he was if he was uh, being told to do that or if he had a bigger budget to work for and actually go for more genuine top quality play, top quality players then, then who knows uh, you know is, are, are we are we working is, is Graham Carr working to, to his brief with him saying this is you know I've got I've got the contacts in these markets this is this you know there's, there's value to be had going down this, this route stick with it or is it Lee Charnley saying these things I, I don't know I mean it's just probably a, I, 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 I can't I think I think let's be honest he's it's it's the transfer policy is, is, a, is, is completely failing 
it's, it's absolutely failing and I think when you look at who's the instrumental figures within that well he's absolutely an instrumental figure within that and you know we're, we're talking about bad decisions they're not bad but they're bad decisions getting made again and again and again and now we're seeing fairly sizable amounts of money getting getting spent on on, on bad decisions and so yeah I mean you, you, in, in, on that basis you say you, you probably should be looking to lose his job but um, I don't know it's just it's just there's, there's so much just complete like lack of communication and actual you know there's no one's coming out and saying this is how it, you know this is how it works this is who decides on the players that and the, and the kind of players that Newcastle should be going going after that 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 question just we, we've never really had answered all right we're gonna to have to finish off because we've been we've gone quite a while we may as well finish off with the man at the top mike ashley and i'll put it to to you first richie uh, before coming to you, Ben, I'll have a different question for you, Ben, but we'll try and keep these quite short. Would you take relegation, Richie, to get rid of Mike Ashley? No. Um, I've heard, I've heard quite a few people saying when he could go down for three or four seasons. I just think it's it's crazy to do it like think, thinking in that way. Newcastle um, can only really move forward as a club. Uh, it's sad to say, but with lots of money involved is, is and, 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 and that happens at the end of this season you know at the end of this season Newcastle Newcastle's transfer budget for next next summer could feasibly be 80, 90 who knows even 100 million pounds next summer now you can buy some you can buy some pretty good footballers for that for that uh, for that amount of money now obviously the issue is well you know, well, well, who's going to be deciding on which players? Are we going to be going after the right players? You know, we've, we've, we've just covered that off. Um, but in reality, next summer, if the investment continues and if we see in the Premier League, you know, with the right with the right people involved in the club making those decisions, Newcastle could go go forward and be a, a big force because that's 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 essentially what the game's all about now. Um, going down. Going down and getting relegated, I don't really see how that is going to encourage Mike Ashley to, to, to go. I, I think I, I just I just don't I don't really see see that being the case, and I, and I, I just don't really see much good coming out of Newcastle being relegated. I, I don't. I, I've, I've tried. I've, I've thought about it, and I just think you know Newcastle go down. You're down in the championship for two or three years, then you're pretty much down there for a long time, you know. And Newcastle, the way they're going, could could go further than the championship if they went down. You know, they could it could go could get even worse. So no, I, I, I personally, I don't think relegation um, makes sense in any in any shape or form. Thanks, Richie. Ben, do you believe that if Mike Ashley isn't forthcoming this week with the decisions that we've talked about today that clearly need to be made, do you think it's time for uh, you know, want you know fans once again to start putting real pressure on him, like we did last season. I don't think there's any way Mike Ashley would have spoken to the world and told us that he, he wanted to qualify for Newcastle for the Champions League. Had had there been uh, the boycott, oh, sorry, had there not been the boycott, do you think it's if, if McLaren, if, if Mike Ashley leaves things the way they are, do you think that that, that something needs to happen from us, the fans, to, to, to force his hand? Yeah, I've been thinking about it since yesterday, really. Um, and it's getting to the point where I'm, I'm, I think that's the only way forward, really. Um, it's the only option we've been left with as fans. Because we've, obviously, it, we basically gave, I think, we basically gave them a shot. Uh, 
you know, I was like, well, there's the signs there that potentially aren't going to take take things seriously, and and obviously he said all the right things, but everything since then is is just gone to pass. Um, and I think the only, it's, I mean, it all it all stems down from him. All everything we've discussed here is all because of him. Um, allowing things to go on, and I, I think until the, the, until he's gone, there's, there's no way this club can move forward. And I think well, basically as, as fans have been left with no other alternative. The only way anything's going to happen, and even now I don't think it's necessarily guaranteed to happen, but the only thing he's left with is, is to boycott. Fair enough. Um, I think that's that's pretty comprehensive, lads. Thanks very much. We've talked about everything that's wrong, or all the major things that are wrong with Newcastle United. Um, let's just see how this week pans out. All the crack from the media is that McLaren is safe for now. Well, like I said before, that just makes absolutely no sense to me because we'll get pumped off Liverpool. We'll probably lose by even more to Spurs, um, and then it goes and it goes into that Villa match is is basically an absolute do or die scenario. But but realistically, if if you know Norwich are picking up points, Bournemouth look like they've got fight in them. Newcastle are one of the one of the three worst teams in the league. They're, they're one of the, the two worst teams in the league. In I'd, the league, I'd say we're. We talked about it on Friday. We, we're the worst team in the league. We last in the said um, it was between Villa and Sutherland. I think um, Nicky and Sai went with Sutherland, but realistically, we are the worst team at the minute. Regardless of how badly Villa are doing, at least they're, they're, they're showing a bit of fight. We haven't shown anything. <laughs> they got they got yeah. done four 0 in the last away game as well. Like, but <laughs> yeah, if there's one, if there's one yeah, team any club in the Premier League right now, it's Newcastle. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, this has been True Facebook the podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll be back on Friday for the radio show when hopefully we'll have some good news to talk about regarding uh, a replacement in the staff at the club. But I doubt it. And that's uh, live, 7 o'clock radio Northumberland. Uh, just leaves me to say thanks to Ben and Richie. Appreciate your time. Cheers. Cheers. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine. Stop noticing. But you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour 3-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com